Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Welcome to Mindspace. Uh, this is Jeff Boucher and Evan, how are you? Good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well, Evan Cop. It's good <laughs> to see you again. It's good to see you. Happy Halloween as it just passed. Thank you very much. Happy Halloween to you and happy Election Day. Yes. Yes, actually, you're, you're correct. When this episode airs, it will be Election Day. Now, yes. um, we have a great guest today. His name's Ken Jansons. He uh, has done many things, TV shows. He just released his first film that he wrote. And he's been writing comics for Virus Comics under Heavy Metal. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, uh, it, let me tell you, this is a guy that's got a library card. I know that. <laughs> yeah. He's got a library card because he knows his books. He knows his literature and he knows his history. Definitely, yeah. He's, he's going to be a very fun guest. I, I'm excited to see you guys, you know, talk about basically everything because our, you guys have a lot in common. And sure. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, before we get to the interview... Um, there's a little bit of news we want to discuss, which is sadly the passing of a great film actor, which was Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery, one of the just the titans, uh, the titan figures of of cinema, um, especially big blockbuster cinema. You know, I mean, the James Bond franchise, which began with Dr. No back in 1963, uh, was really became the template that would set it would become the template for uh, blockbuster mega franchises to follow. Uh, you know, Planet of the Apes at the end of the 60s and in the early 70s, and then on through, you know, Star Wars and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the things that would follow it. And, and Sean Connery uh, would be part of that Indiana Jones franchise very memorably with uh, the third film, which is one of my favorite movies. I know it's one of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's so, so satisfying. And, and with the late River Phoenix making an appearance in it too, makes it, uh, it's going to be hard for me to watch that film and not get choked up now that uh, Sean Connery's uh, also uh, left the building. So Yeah, it's interesting because um, we had talked earlier on this show, we had talked a little bit about Harrison Ford and how his path, you know, he was a big action star and then he kind of dipped for a, a moment and then kind of had a resurgence with yeah. movies like... Uh, the Fugitive, and then he did Air Force One, and did all those movies kind of yeah. later in his life. It's interesting because uh, Sean Connery kind of did had a kind of the same sort of path. You know, he yeah. was James Bond, and he did all these other action movies, and then he kind of dipped for a minute, and he came back in his older years, and he did movies like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Untouchables, Last Crusade, Hunt for Red October. Just yeah, Medicine cool. Man, Medicine Man, Russia House. Uh, I can't believe you started that list with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But, uh, <laughs> other than that, you know, like, uh, I think Untouchables, that, that performance is so, so good in that movie. Um, 
and it's so many great memorable lines, you know, what are you prepared to do? You know, and uh, uh, Chicago, you know, uh, that's the Chicago way. And there's uh, just so many, so many great moments in that film, the great Brian De Palma film. And, you know, Sean Connery's other, I, I really like some of his lesser known films. Uh, the Molly Maguire's is a really great film. Uh, him and Richard Harris. Uh, uh, and it's a, it's about minors, uh, sort of uh, a government agent in, infiltrating a group of uh, radical minors who are, who've been doing, um, you know, uh, anti-company terrorism, essentially. Uh, it's a really offbeat film and really, really well done, uh, directed by Martin Ritt, who did a lot of labor movies. He also directed Norma Ray. And uh, that, that's one I really like. And I, I love uh, Robin and Marion. I have a, uh, I had an encounter with Sean Connery at the Oscars. Uh, that sounds ominous or strange, but uh, it was very, very fleeting. But for me, very, very memorable. I, I was at the show and my job, I was writing for the LA Times at the time. And uh, I was in charge of writing the color, color story that day, which was just, think, you know, uh, not so much about who won, but about moments at the show and, and things that, the audience couldn't see by watching it on TV things that uh, I could, you know, write about that would make them feel like they had a different experience than just watching the broadcast. Like a behind so, the scenes esque look at it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I would, I, I spent very little time in my seat, you know, because if you're in your seat, you're watching the show. Uh, so I would go and, so, you know, I probably sat in my seat maybe 10 minutes of the entire, uh, entire night. So I would just uh, uh, hang out in the, the, lobby hang out by the bar hang out outside on the balcony where people smoke cigarettes and just keep talking to people um that i recognized from um because they were famous or because they were in the industry and i was covering it go into the bar which is kind of crowded at this point and so everybody's shoulder to shoulder like kind of getting uh in in and out and um i'm kind of taking in the whole moment and i back up and i bump into somebody and uh, I turn around just as they turn around and it's Sean Connery. And we're, he's a tall guy. I'm, I'm six, three. He, uh, I think he was I, either he's taller than me or I just felt like it, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he turned around and he, he made one of these faces where he like scrunches up his eyes. And uh, you know, it's an expression that uh, people know from his movies. Uh, it's just kind of a, what, what is this, you know, like kind of face. And uh he looks at me and he, I think he thought he knew me for a second. And of course, when you, when you spin around and you see Sean Connery, you know, face to face, you, you, you recognize him. So we each had this expression of like, hey, and uh, then he realized he didn't know me. And I realized that he didn't know me. And, and then we, uh, we just said goodbye. That was it. That's the entire story. But it was, uh, it was very, very memorable because he was the single-handedly the most interesting person in the building effortlessly. Oh, yeah. he was effortlessly the most interesting person you know, like i really wanted to talk to him but i couldn't think of anything that seemed appropriate um and he so he just kind of smiled and winked and said excuse me and he just <laughs> he went by and uh uh he got his drink and he went on his way you know thinking about crowded bars and how there's no way in which you can get through without bumping into people i cannot think of a more stressful interaction than trying not to bump into the most famous people in Hollywood all in the same room while you're trying to get a drink. That sounds yeah. very stressful. And there's also things that distract you. Um, 
the, the year that um, Charlize Theron won her Oscar, um, mm -hmm. I was going uh, down the stairs. The show was over, uh, they, and they, she was one of the winners, and they were taking the official portrait of the winners, and they had just finished that. So she was coming down the stairs, and I'm going up the stairs, and I look up, and I see her, and she's wearing this amazing dress. And I don't know if, 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 you've, if you've seen Charlize Theron, but she's a very attractive person. And um, I was kind of agog, uh, basically. I kind of, I was like, wow. Like, uh, and I, I, I kept walking, but my, I was staring at her, essentially walk, walking up the stairs while she's walking down. And then I hear this kind of cracking sound, sort of. And I look down, I realize that I'm actually, I've, I bumped into Sofia Coppola. I've knocked her down and I'm starting to walk on her because I'm staring at Charlize Theron so much. And uh, I, I, I picked her up and apologized. Um, it's so embarrassing. It was like one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Oh my gosh, man. So that's, that's how attractive Charlize Theron is. is that <laughs> I, I, I'm basically walking on Sophia Coppola. She's like, please stop, hello, hi, stop. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Allow me to help you up and oh, nice Oscar. Uh, yeah. you know, she, I love she, your work. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, have you seen Char Charlize Theron? She's right there. Uh, no, you don't I, know. Maybe be... she was also looking at her and she bumped into you too. You never know. I like the way that you, uh, you came up with that. I'm going to stick with that. I think that's yeah. really good. But uh, it's, uh, and, and just so people know, I, I didn't really, I didn't hear a cracking sound. I, I didn't injure her, but it was, it was a little in, it, embarrassing. But. Oh man. Well, that's funny. <laughs> well, those yeah. are great stories. Maybe, you know, we can get so Sophie on the show sometimes so you can give her an official apology. I would love to have Sophia Coppola on the show. And also, Charlize Theron, if you're out there, just call. <laughs> That's great. Well, we have Ken waiting in the other room. Uh, we definitely want to get to the interview with him. And uh, I'll talk to you again after the interview. Sounds good. All right, man. Here is Ken. Ken, it's very nice to meet you. Uh, I uh, noticed right away from your work uh, that you have... Uh, a fascination and affinity for uh, bygone eras. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of the 30s and 40s. Uh, my favorite films are from the 70s. So uh, yeah, basically uh, they did it right in the past. Yeah, yeah. And then also <laughs> the the bookshelf. You know, you have a yeah. lot of characters uh, borrowed from uh, the classic bookshelf. Tell me a little bit about that. Is that uh, is that uh, merely because it's public domain, or is it go beyond that? <laughs> Uh, well, it goes a bit beyond that. I think the yeah. first things I started getting published were from a, a pulp perspective. Uh, There's a guy named Tommy Hancock who has Pro Se Press, and he was starting pulp magazines back in, I think it was 2010. And he uh, was looking for some uh, writers, and I came on. I think I was one of the first few. And uh, yeah, started writing some some stuff for him. Usually, uh, most of them were stuff, a uh, series that I created, but then I got onto other stuff from Mark. Uh, Airship 27, did stuff for Moon, uh, for the Moon Man, who's a 1930s, uh, kind of like a Robin Hood type character, except he wears a big fishbowl in his head, kind of like Mysterio from uh, from Marvel Comics. Um, sure. Yeah, and wrote some other uh, stuff, but usually the pulp, uh, regardless of what day and age it is, uh, would harken back to those those old pulp, pulps in the 20s and 30s, the Doc Savages and the stuff like that. Yeah. It's such a great era. It's such a great you know, has such a great tonality to it. You know, uh, I love the look of it and the, um, you know, that era, the pulp era, and and the, there was a there was a hint of danger to it that uh, you didn't really have in comics uh, as much at that point. You know, that, I mean, there was a sort of a sexual energy and and kind of a, a, a level of peril that uh, seemed 
uh, to go beyond the comics. Well, actually, in that time, uh, the 30s and 40s, there was some stuff in comic books that uh, oh, yeah. was yeah. pretty risque that you'd be surprised. And then, of course, they clamped down on that in the 50s with the, the see. yeah Joe McCarthy and then the uh, seduction of the innocent. And then they like put a stamp on it. OK, you can't have anything that's not uh, PG for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, comics and pulp back then were pretty, uh, pretty edgy, violent. Uh, there was a sexiness to it that uh, that got uh, stamped out after a while. But uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, the great thing about the 30s, I think, is it seems still modern, yet there's not much technology, right? So you can't get saved by your cell phone. You can't get saved by uh, whatever. You're just walking around with your gun and hopefully that's enough. Yeah, it seems like that last time when you could be uh in fiction at least uh, the last time when you have characters that really seem like uh borrowed from the old west or from european traditions it's like where the the modern met the past almost yeah it, it feels like to us and also the great aesthetics you know yeah and cowboys and outlaws even if they were maybe they got killed off but if they didn't and they lived to a ripe old age they were still around so right. you still had a connection to this past that was just wild west but now you're in cities and going to cocktail parties and doing all this stuff. And so it's just, it's got both worlds and it's hanging on to both of them as it makes that transition. Yeah, like um, you're, like Wyatt Earp, right? Like in Los yeah. Angeles. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, what was that uh, Bruce Willis uh, movie? Uh, Sun, Sunset? Sunset, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I think that was the second uh, big movie he made, which uh, it went Blind Date, which was the Blake Edwards movie. Then he did Sunset as Wyatt Earp and then he did Die Hard. Yeah, Blind Date is the, uh, I believe it's the only movie I've ever been thrown out of. Yeah, what'd you do? I saw it in the movie theater when I was, a, uh, I mean, I must have been, when was that, like 85, 86? Uh, 86, 87, something 86, like that. 86, 87, yeah. Right. Uh, I was in a uh, movie theater in um, South Florida. I grew up down in Broward County, Florida. Okay. And, and uh, you know, it turns out when you... Uh, when you put those Michelob bottles on the floor, if it's <laughs> if it's a if slope seating, it just goes yeah. rolls right down to the front of the theater. And yeah, I, I had the same thing happen to me. I went to, to a cheap uh, theater and watched this show, movie called Small Soldiers back in early oh, 2000, yeah. I think. And the same thing happened. We, we, we snuck in some beer and then, oops, one fell over and then it just systematically went down row after row after row after row. <laughs> the relentless yeah. sound. It's a relentless yeah, yeah. sound. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still don't know how that movie ends, by the way, Blind Date. So it, it's kind of funny. I got thrown out in like 86, 87, and uh, I've yet to make it back to that film. So yeah, well, I don't think it's worth really going back to tell you <laughs> yeah. the truth. Uh, yeah. Um, it is sort of fascinating uh, to think of people like Wyatt Earp you know, uh, and for our listeners that don't know, I mean, I'm not uh, immersed in the history. Uh, uh, Ken, you may know better than me, but he, you know, came to Los Angeles seeking a, a, a second act uh, as a uh, on the on the screen, you know. Uh, yep. And it seems so anachronistic to have him, you know, kind of hanging around the same town where, you know, Orson Welles is walking around, for instance, yeah, or something yeah. like that. But the interesting thing is, it's pretty much almost what he was doing before there, the rules weren't set yet. Mm. So he was starting to make rules as he went along. There's people that didn't want to follow the rules and uh, yeah. And he got to, I mean, probably Westerns were besides the crime noir were the biggest movies being made or the, the most abundant. And so he stepped in there and uh, he got to tell people what was right, what wasn't. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating stuff. Yeah. And for you, for when you go back to the the uh, the bookshelf, you know, and what would be the first project where you kind of 
did that or that uh, where where that would apply where you went back and took a character from literature or or from uh, history um and and kind of uh, put them in a new uh story setting for on the shelf if, it, if we're talking movies the first screenplay i ever wrote actually took place during uh the moon landings it was actually supposed to be this big uh, secret where he's working for nasa and then he learns the, the big shocker at the end is that the moon landings were fake. And then uh, I gave it to my professor when I was in university and he said, have you seen this movie called Capricorn One? I'm like, no. Uh. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I watched oh. it and I'm like, oh, well, I guess this goes down, uh, gets thrown away. Well, no, uh, that means it's a good idea, right? Like, uh, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, for, for books, I think the first, uh, first pulp ones I wrote, um, of the three, Two of them were modern day, but one of them took place in the 30s. Um, it took in Africa, actually. It was this family that moved to this outpost after their father, uh, the, the husband died. And uh, uh, yeah, they started um, looking after this, this house and that had, was by a cave and mysterious things were happening in the cave. But uh, uh, I took some things from uh, the early uh, Nazi movement because it was the 30s, not yet 39. So uh, sure. I guess I think I mentioned Hitler in there. I don't think he was actually in there. But uh, yeah, I, I always like to I think take from from history if I can, if, if, if it warrants that. Yeah, it adds like a real crackle to the, for me and for I think for a lot of people that like history or love history, that it adds like a real crackle of excitement when the uh, fictional crosses over and, and brushes, uh, you know, uh, elbows with the history books, you know, like uh, seeing, um, you know, uh, the third Raiders of the Lost Ark movie and having, yes. you know, Hitler, you know, literally bump, bump elbows with, with, uh, you know, with Indiana Jones, you know, and it, it adds uh, excitement to it. And, and I guess, you know, speaking of Hitler, I mean, he's had a big resurgence in pop culture, uh, I think. Uh, I guess he never really has gone away, which is, you know, uh, speaks to, to a lot of uh, how much he represents uh, evil to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Kind of shorthand for evil, but uh, sadly, you know, you, also he's a hero to people, some people today, which is sad. Yeah, but. exactly. Uh, obviously, then and uh, and if if any of those folks are listening, just leave right now. You know, like if <laughs> if you consider Hitler to be a okay yeah. with you, you know, just move right along. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know. You think about him in *Inglorious Bastards*, for instance. Um, yeah. You know, I know Eli Roth, and uh, and I actually have talked to his parents once or twice, uh, and they're very, very proud that their son's the the, the guy that killed Hitler. Hitler. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of a fun uh, claim to fame, uh, and and probably gave a lot of uh, existential uh, uh, cathartic uh, release to a lot of people in the Jewish community to watch uh, Eli Roth take a yeah. Louisville slugger to the head. Well, I, I guess actually. Did he blow him up at the end? He blew him up at the end. He didn't hit uh, him. I think he took a, a Gatling gun to him, didn't he? Gatling gun, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a baseball yeah. bat at the end. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, it's tricky to have the people from history in there because if you don't do your research and you don't get it right, people are going to pick at that instead of the story, which is unfortunate. Unless you go like all the way to Nicolaurus Bastards where you're like, I'll just change it all. You can yeah, see blatantly what I'm doing. So uh, yeah. now, now try to make some comments about it because you're right and I don't care. <laughs> it's interesting because if, if you, you wonder if like, I, I don't think this would apply to Quentin's film, but uh, you never know, but uh, how much your movie audience thinks uh, they've seen a true story. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think anybody thinks that one's true, but you never oh, know. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know. There's a bunch of people who do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, uh, 
I was a crime reporter for about six or seven oh, cool. years uh, for the LA Times uh, back in the 90s. Uh, and then um, I switched to do other stuff. I was at the paper for like 21 years, but uh, six or seven of it was covering, uh, you know, uh, violent crime and then also just random street mayhem and, and the general chaos of life that you do as a Metro reporter. And uh, I, I, I remember meeting at least three people where over the years that for some random reason, this conversation came up, but they all thought that um, uh, Hannibal Lecter was a real person. Okay. They thought that Hannibal Lecter was as real as Ted Bundy or as, you know, uh, uh, Speck or any, any of the, the, the rogues gallery of the serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder, is it because they just don't have their fingers on the pulse of anything but their own lives? Or it's just that they were, how old were they? Were they? They were younger than the, uh, they, they had all been, you know, they were all alive when the film was made. I believe, because this was, yeah, because this would have been, yeah, they, I mean, except film came out, I think, in 91, 92, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but um, I would guess yeah, right around there. Yeah, 90 and, or 91, yeah. And this, this would have been in 98, 99. So obviously, if okay. I was talking to them, they, they, uh, they, they should, have, should have known better, so to speak. But um, I think it had something to do either with the completeness of that portrayal or oh, yeah. the fact that, maybe the fact that different actors have played it uh yeah in a sh short spirit period of time I and mean, brian cox uh and manhunter uh, man so. man right exactly and uh the michael mann movie and then uh obviously uh with sir anthony hopkins but uh yeah it, it kind of boggled my mind i remember like do i try to talk this person out of this or like uh and i i did in one case i'm like you know you know i think that's actually a movie i think that's you know that's jonathan demi it's based on a book and they just were not having any of it i, I it might have something to do also just with the purveyance of uh the pervasiveness of of serial killer lore and uh, that they yeah. all feel real and they all feel fictional because they're larger than life i guess or something yeah i'd be happy uh i'd be interested to find out if uh, they thought like michael myers was real or like <laughs> jason Bur like other of these like norman bates like is that a yeah, story yeah. A real story about a guy in a, a motel like you would wonder get, yeah, yeah. Some people just have blind spots, I guess, for some things too. They, maybe they, they just didn't know anything, but some people are just, that one thing just isn't their knowledge. Like yeah. I, talked my, I talked to my sister once and I had written a, a, a Robin Hood miniseries for a, a comic book company a few years back. And uh, I think she asked me, oh no, I also wrote a Sherlock Holmes miniseries uh, for that same company a few years back. And she asked me if Sherlock Holmes was real. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you think that's true? Right. Hopefully my sister is not listening. Sorry about your story, but uh, yeah. We just so, lost another listener. Thanks, Tom. Yep, there we go. All right. But uh, yeah, so maybe it's just someone's blind spot or they just don't have yeah. any, any desire to delve into things or just don't have that filter where they can say, okay, that's fiction, that's not. Sure. And I guess Sherlock Holmes, maybe the name is so... Uh, it's just in the air, like, you know, oh, yeah. if you, is there a character that's had any more things done with it? I mean, I think that's the character that has the most property out there, whether it's books or uh, comics or movies or TV. And Which so. is crazy to me, like, that that's that's still the case, you know, uh, that yeah. Sherlock Holmes, I, I, I looked this up not long ago, actually, uh, and, and you're exactly right, is that um, while it's hard to pin down a number because film production occurs on so many different levels and so many different places and you know, what qualifies as theatrical and all this stuff, uh, the long, long history of uh, film 
you know, is a little nebulous sometimes, but that Sherlock Holmes is generally considered accepted to be the character that has been portrayed the most often on screen in film, given the the wide breadth of all the things I just said, Um, which is kind of interesting to me. I think uh, the other ones that are right up there are Dracula and uh, and Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is not fictional. Um, But uh, as far as portrayals, Jesus Christ would be up there as well. That kind of surprises um, me because being that the other two are fictional and he's not, um, why, like, then he couldn't be utilized as much as seen in different things. Whereas you can take someone like Sherlock Holmes, put him in present day, make him do whatever, and, and Dracula, you can uh, do a bunch of stuff with. Uh, but then it's kind of hard to have Jesus in his own uh, romantic comedy or his own. Well, <laughs> that's where you're wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, no. <laughs> You know, we just lost another listener, I think. Uh, but uh, no, the, I think uh, Jesus comes to people in many ways. Like, so, like, you know, he can be portrayed in, in you know, a modern day setting. Uh, right, I guess he doesn't have to be the lead or something like that. It could just be like in a five yeah. minutes of a dream sequence or a vignette or something. Yeah, okay, I never, never thought of that. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, or he could just be portrayed in somebody's dream or somebody, you know, as well, too. But uh, as far as the lead um, uh, is what we were yeah, kind of, obviously kind of circling around. Um, I came across an interesting thing. Um, uh, I was looking at the very earliest films made, you know, going back to like 19, excuse me, like 1898, 1897-ish thereabouts. Um, And uh, I wanted to find out if I could, what the first, what the longest enduring film character is. Like what characters had the, the longest, yeah. uh representation on screen and and i think i got it i think it's santa claus because santa claus was in a film um that uh is actually um, a british film short film as it, it's called a i think santa claus's visit or something like that but i can i could uh, dig it out it's yeah, actually it's on awesome. youtube yeah. and it has some really uh, uh landmark editing you know attributes to it uh, although I'm not sure I could retrieve those off the top of my head, what they, those are, but that, uh, you know, I mean, Santa Claus is going to be in another movie coming up uh, this holiday season. Um, and so I figure that that's got to make Santa the most, uh, the most enduring film character. That would make sense. Yeah. Is that the movie where he fights like trolls or something? No, no. You're thinking no. like Santa Claus versus the Martians or something? Oh, like maybe, maybe? That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That's like, that's like a, that's, that's in the fifties. This, this is oh, really? a, 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 like, um, I'm thinking of a silent movie, but maybe I'm just thinking. Of a, oh, really? Oh, okay. Movie. Then that's, yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a, I, I don't know that one. And this one, um, Santa, you see him, he's kind of a skinny Santa. Uh, <laughs> and he, you see him, um, it, it's got a split image. So you see inside a nursery, it looks kind of like the Peter Pan kind of nursery, a little bit, uh, a, but more bare. And uh, you see these two kids, being put to sleep i think and then uh, tucked in and then you see santa on the roof so it's showing action okay. in two different places which i think oh, was uh you know a, not a, a, yet a feature of film and then he goes down the chimney and in a puff he ends up downstairs and the kids are uh okay. I, you know i would be alarmed myself and, you know <laughs> yeah, especially the way this santa looks he doesn't look like uh uh yeah, i would be alarmed yeah. but anyway uh and then he visits and and uh and then that's about it that's about the end okay uh, but uh, it was British made, and uh, at the time, movies had titles like Horse Trots on a Summer Day, you know, so yeah, like yeah, people yeah. are still Just getting used to it. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're still getting used to the whole thing. 
but it's sort of fascinating. And, and you know, you think about uh, audiences then, uh, they say that audiences that saw like The Great Train Robbery, which is, you know, an early film that had some key uh, innovative uh, filmmaking, you know, techniques used at the time, uh, state of the art, um, that when people were watching the film and the train would come toward the screen, yeah. they would duck out of the way. And, and it, exactly. it's so hard to imagine that now it's hard, so hard to put ourselves in the place of someone who's never seen a moving image on a screen. Yeah. Um, so I've seen some 3D movies in the theaters back when they were more popular about 10 years ago. And occasionally I've gone, moved to the side slightly. It's just like, what am I doing? <laughs> it's just like coming at me. I'm a grown adult. I shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be doing this. Well, um, for you, uh, I'm sure this is beyond reading, uh, beyond writing it, that you enjoy reading it and, and uh, as, a, as a, a fan and such too. What are some of the, the works in the past that would fall into the same category by others that you enjoy? Like, uh, it's kind of an awkward way of asking it, but like, um, you know, like League, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by uh, Alan Moore, you know, like where he takes okay. uh, characters of literature and, and puts them together or, or going back to like Nicholas Myers movies like, uh, uh, you know, 7% Solution or, or yeah. uh, uh, Time After Time, be a good example, like with Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper. Uh, I know that kind of resonates with some of the stuff you've done. Is, is there any on that list or others that uh, that you would recommend or have enjoyed? For uh, yeah, time after time is a good one. I think because I well, I really enjoy the the time period of the 1880s for some reason that really speaks to me. So of course, I love Sherlock Holmes and oddly enough, love Jack the Ripper, which is an awkward thing to say, but I do love <laughs> the mystique. I love mystery, right? It all comes down to the atmosphere and the spookiness and the mystery. So that time, I mean, fog and, and people in coats over their faces and stuff like that. That's great. Uh, for works that uh, take that, uh, I mean, there's about 50 different things of Sherlock Holmes through the time, years. I think the best one is um, the BBC, BBC TV series from the 80s, the one with oh. Jeremy Brett. Have you seen any of those? You know, I have not. You know, in, oh, in, no? you're not the first person that has uh, mentioned those to me as being a high watermark. So I, yeah. I, I definitely got to go back to them. What was it uh, that you that really kind of connected with you? Was it the performances or, or just a different take on the character? Well, Jeremy Brett, I think, is the best uh, Sherlock Holmes. And it, I don't think it's a different take. I think it's the, the original take, and therefore that's what connects with people. Yeah. Um, but it's the one my dad watched, and so when I was a kid, I, then that's how I got introduced, and it just, I just love that one. Uh, a movie called Young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, I did uh, see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like actually, that. Actually, yeah, written by uh, another um, Virus Comics uh, writer, uh, uh, Brendan Columbus. He's Christopher Columbus's son, and so that's that was written by his dad, and uh, I love that one. That uh, takes my love of. Uh, YA and my love of Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that and puts them together. And, yeah, uh, it's so satisfying, you know, and, and again, yeah. it's, there's something about um, when there's a, a an existing uh, work and it has all the these different, you know, coordinates within it of story, like, you know, yeah. and to find a way to put that together with another story where those coordinates match up uh, in a meaningful way, uh, satisfying way. Uh, yeah. It's a uh, it really is a, 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 a unique uh, reading kind of uh, experience. Like it, it's, it's, it's different than other types of uh, literature. that has got an extra little uh, kind of satisfying aspect to it. And the interesting about Young Sherlock Holmes, a little trivia is that it has the first CGI character ever. No, I did not know that. Uh, yeah. 
what was tell me more about that it's in the first i'll say five minutes um a uh this guy gets drugged and he goes into a church and he sees a stained glass uh uh, knight in the the windows and he jumped the knight jumps off because he's hallucinating and uh attacks him and that's i believe that's the first uh, cgi character ever in movies so oh wow now i did not know that i did not know that i'll that that's good trivia too because i uh uh, fascinated by early CGI stuff and and just movie stuff in general. I am fascinated by it, but I still prefer non CGI. Like I'd rather have uh, traditional uh, stunts and traditional uh, uh, in camera and, and and yeah and all that stuff. And yeah, the in camera effects. I, you, you're you're right because of the uh, the CGI. Uh, while it continues to improve and evolve. Um, there's a certain still lack of uh, um, weight or uh, velocity or something. There's like a lack of uh, impact to it. It yeah. feels a little flimsy sometimes, especially the, the, the more there is on the screen. Uh, it, it kind of, uh, it's like the law of diminishing returns. The more you have of it, the less it's there. Yeah, it's funny. I used to hate it because I used to, it used to take me out of the picture because I could tell the CGI was maybe flatter or if it was, just, if it was uh creature or something like that you can just tell that it's not part of the, what's going on something and that's what you should bother me now what bothers me is it's two two real times like uh what is it is it rogue one where they have uh grandma talking target yeah. and i'm like uh is that the what's the name peter cushing or yeah peter cushing right and <laughs> yeah. he, he's not and supposed to like, be in this <laughs> no no he's supposed to be dead and then uh and now you see those apps where you can take a video and then take someone else's face and put it on and it's seamless and you're like oh no yeah yeah not not cool you know um one intriguing thing is the way that uh i think the sweet spot is uh uh kind of the melding of the two and and uh i've talked a lot about that to uh john favreau who's made that kind of a almost a signature of his career like and he it goes back to zathura there's a scene in zathura where you have the like the giant robot coming down the staircase uh uh and I remember talking to him about that scene and what, you know, it's, uh, they, it gave a lot of, uh, insight that would later be used, uh, on the portrayal of Iron Man by Robert Downey Jr. And basically what it was is that some of what you're seeing is him. And then they, uh, uh, at certain parts, uh, embroider it with CGI, uh, and that melding of half and half in camera with the, the post effects you know seems like to be the sweet spot where you know you get the uh the fantastical but you hold on to that uh you know it still feels tethered to the real world uh the physics of it you know yeah. the, you know, the, the impacts and things like that but uh, it definitely it can get real hollow real fast or real flat real fast uh if uh if people just kind of approach it like they're making a video game yeah i think my favorite uh special cgi effects was jurassic park and i was like oh okay this looks real this is gonna be great and then 20 years after everything was not good and then <laughs> yeah and yeah and it's to, funny how it, uh, it it can damn a movie you know if it like i i, I saw i went back to the original uh, speaking of chris columbus went back to the original harry potter movie yeah uh and just watching them when they get flung around while fighting the troll uh it just looks so fake you know and Does it it, 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 okay. it just takes me out of the movie so much um and, you know, and it, then there's the classic thing is, do you go back and fix it? You know, like, you know, uh, like George Lucas, for him, yeah. his 
his uh, Jedi films have been uh, an unfinished canvas. I mean, he's treated like a, a painting that he's still working on. Which I'm against. Gone, gone back again and again. And, you know, uh, Spielberg did that a little bit too with like E.T. Like he replaced the guns with walkie-talkies when they're chasing Elliot oh, no. through the, the government <laughs> guys. And uh, he, he said later he regretted it. He said, you know, he shouldn't yeah. have done it. He should have left it the way it was. Um, although I have a theory, and this this is like, you know, Ken, this is a very controversial thing I'm about to say. Like, um, there's a lot of people that are not going to like me when I say this. I, and some of them I know by name uh, because they love this movie so much. But I think there are certain cases where you could go back and use CGI to embroider or to uh, kind of enhance like a certain, especially weak component of an otherwise great film. Because to me, Jaws is a great, great movie, as everybody knows. But man that shark's tough to watch and it just takes me out of the movie every single time and that's one example where i wouldn't mind spielberg going back and putting a cg shark on top of that shark um to redo that film and i think if they released it that way that they would have the number one movie in america that week uh a lot of people aren't going to like that though i am one of those people that does not like that <laughs> <laughs> I, I think jaws is one of the best movies ever made i love the shark i love the fact that it the way it looks, I, I'm never taking out of it because it seems real to me instead of CGI. I just, yeah, uh, I just well, it's I, not CGI, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, in yeah. fact, the some of the greatness of that film is because the the shark didn't work. And oh so yeah. They, so for the first two thirds of the movie, they had to do stuff without the shark, and then it's great because it's all about what's not what's not seen, right? So Absolutely. I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't. I, you can even disrespectfully uh, disagree. It's not a problem. I disrespectfully. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you and and a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, um, sometimes uh, uh, a challenge or a restriction. Uh, brings out the best in an artist or a creator. And, and that's absolutely the case with Jaws, where uh, young Steven Spielberg, when confronted with a mechanical shark that was good at sinking, it was better at sinking yeah, yeah, than it was yeah. at swimming, um, uh, came up with the ingenuity that is Jaws, where, you know, uh, so what do you do? Uh, how about we get John Williams to come up with the single most recognizable piece of music in history? Yeah. Because you can identify it in three notes. Uh, nah, nah, I don't know anything else you can name in three notes. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 and they just put the camera in the water going wish wash, wish wash, and play that music. And now you are the shark. And yeah. you know, solutions like that and 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 keeping it hidden and and Ridley Scott doing the same thing with alien. You know, the less you see the alien, the the scarier it is because you fill it in with yeah. all your imagination, all the power of your dread and fear. Yeah, it's something uh, more powerful than that. Exactly. Still, I'd still CGI that fucking shark. <laughs> it's the only one. There's no nothing on film that I think is better than uh, uh, Shaw talking about going down in, in World War II and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The shark swirling around. Oh, I just, I just love it. I could watch that scene a thousand times. Uh, now Nicholas Meyer, you know, I, I've talked to a few times and and mm -hmm. and we mentioned him. Uh, you said Shakespeare, and I, I have another, I'm Mr. Controversial today. I'm, I'm <laughs> hitting a lot of uh, controversy. I'm going to uh, upset people with this one too. But uh, now I think that Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, which was directed by Nicholas Meyer, uh, is, if it's not the best Star Trek movie, it's the second best. I, you know, I do love the J.J. Abrams, the first one, the reboot that he did. Um, 
but I love Wrath of Khan. I mean, it, 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 that one came to me when I was, uh, you know, 12 years old. And uh, uh, it has a special part my, spot in my heart. However, uh, uh, Nicholas Meyer, he returned to the franchise and did Star Trek VI, which is called the Undiscovered Country. Now, Undiscovered Country is a term from Shakespeare. And, you know, it, when Shakespeare said it, it didn't refer to the same thing that Nicholas yeah. Meyer referred to. Because when Nicholas, in that Star Trek VI, when uh, they say, let's drink to the undiscovered country of the future, you know, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, it's a place of potential promise. Uh, things go sideways, but that's not important now. Uh, but in Shakespeare, the undiscovered country is death. Yeah. So what the hell? Like, like, why is Star Trek like screwing around with Shakespeare? Like, I mean, I and I asked Nicholas Myers, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? What do you, like that? You can't just what? What? It's the title of the movie. Like, why? Yeah, yeah. It's Star Trek Death. That's what that means, you know. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> that was like his answer. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, people use like terms from everything, including Shakespeare, and then other people hear what how they used it and not how it was originally done and then so, so now they're using it from other things so just like grammar it keeps changing the meaning of certain things so uh, it's true yeah, yeah i mean stranger things so well, i guess that one actually does come true i guess because uh in, in hamlet when uh he says to ratio there are stranger things in heaven earth and dreamed up in your philosophy i mean yeah. there you go you've got that but yeah uh, I, I mean, anytime you can use Shakespeare phrases and as titles, I'm okay with that. I don't care. <laughs> I guess. But I mean, it's so specific, you know, the undiscovered country, because it, it's a it's a it's a term that doesn't exist before Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, like as a as a I, I would assume as a as a as a phrase, like a cited phrase. Mm-hmm. Um and to put the title of the movie, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I think I, I I just call bullshit on that. <laughs> and I like Nicholas Meyer. I think I'm a fan, um, but I I just don't get it. I think it's kind of funny. There's the interesting thing about how a film is about what happens to a person. You know, they uh, typically a film uh, it tells a story about a person changing. Like the, there's a person at the beginning of the movie, and at the end of the movie, they've changed. They've they've gone to this three act uh, experience that mm-hmm. has led to some uh, evolution or or insight or what have you but like tv it's it's more about here's a character that doesn't change and now we're going to put them in different situations like uh do you think i mean that's kind of oversimplified but there is there is some aspect to that that is true yeah um and i mean it's changing tv right before you have your murder she wrote and stuff like that all your procedurals and all that stuff so characters wouldn't change that much i mean maybe they would on a scene elsewhere or something like that but uh but now i mean quote unquote the golden age of television or at least it's, yeah. it started a while ago with the Sopranos now you've got the the changing you've got the breaking bads where there's a clear uh, change in character and uh, and something like Ozark which is doing that and and so it's I think it's changed it's become this expanded three uh, act structure for characters and I mean and really at the end of the day that's what it is You're, you don't watch well I don't watch movies because of plots Right. Or at least I don't rewatch movies because of the plots. Uh, I might say, oh, that seems like an interesting plot. I'll watch that. But uh, it's the characters, right? You, if you don't care about the characters, you don't care what they're going through, then you don't care. And you, uh, you might as well be watching a video game sometimes. Um, yeah. So, uh, which I hear is a big sport now. People watching on YouTube. Uh, I'll never figure that one out. But uh, we just uh, lost three more. Just lost three uh, more. Sorry. Just right there. Um, but no, I. 
I think that, um, and don't get me wrong, I like watching the the older stuff. I'll, I'll watch a Rockford Files any day of the week and oh, watch yeah. A, yeah, a Moonlighting episode. And um, just because, well, I love mystery and noir. And, and, but um, yeah, I I can see where that was, that would be very difficult. I mean, it's also very difficult in uh, mainstream comics too, right? You have a character that's been around for 80 years and you still can't change them that much. Or if you do, you gotta then put everything back in the box. and give it to the next writer and so yeah, yeah that's it's very difficult but i mean if you still have those interpersonal things then uh that's why people read it i wonder how, is there any major comic book character now that has not died and come back yeah i was thinking about that a while ago i, I don't think there is any like i mean there, no. maybe like like firestorm or something like maybe i, 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 I don't know I, I don't know i don't know he's dead i think to me. i have the comic book where he died and then another guy came in <laughs> so uh, I, I yeah, yeah no you're right you're right yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right uh, uh but uh, yeah it would have to be the, the c level or d level someone that doesn't get used lots like a like a yeah. geoforce or uh <laughs> or someone like that or someone from power pack about or maybe you know what a female character that the the, the there may be like has lost never died you know like uh uh, it depends if you're talking about those 50s and 60s comic book where every second one was Lois Lane has died or Jimmy yeah, Olsen's yeah. life. Now he's a, now he's an otter or whatever. Yeah. My favorite uh, is when it says uh, an imaginary story. Superman dies and then it's yeah, an yeah. imaginary story. And, and Alan Moore pointed out, aren't they all? Like, all imaginary <laughs> like, stories. They all yeah. are. Like this yeah, one's yeah. especially imaginary. Like th that's hysterical to me uh, yeah, yeah. in hindsight. Like, so basically you're just saying this is a story that doesn't count when I'm done. But yeah, yeah, none, yeah. Of, none of them do. Like, no, no. But there's a continuity thing that, uh, I mean, I'm even uh, a, a victim of it. That uh, uh -huh. if it's in continuity, then for some reason you feel it's important. And when it's not, then you can just not read that. I mean, some of the better stories are the ones that aren't in continuity for sure. Yeah. In fact, I, I would say that most of them, the best stories in comics are non continuity. But yeah, some, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. The, the best the, graphic novels, yeah. yeah. But there's something about the importance of continuity that keeps people in those realms more than the, the side realms, which is interesting. Yeah. You know, and when you're in the story as, as a reader or as an audience uh, and you're taking it in, it's like you're. You're getting all this information and it's lining up and almost like uh you're putting dominoes in a row and if if anything doesn't fit or if it's mm -hmm. uh if it if it's contradictory or or it seems to um you know uh not track it it's uh it's like a, a pebble in your shoe as a as the audience yeah. member and so we notice it so i think that that probably leads to if if continuity matters enough that we notice it when it's wrong then of course we're going to notice it when it's ignored you know yeah. so it kind of undermines almost yeah. the, the contract with the the audience that these things i'm telling you matter um that's that's for me is like when you watch a tv series and like they get a new uh showrunner a new season and they come in and like they just it's like pickup sticks they like and here I, they throw it up in the air and they land it's like okay all the characters motivations have changed their, yeah. their personalities have changed nothing matters anymore and that's just like it's so frustrating for me because then it's like well look if you don't care enough about if you don't care about all the stuff that you said why yeah. should i care about it like you know like if yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter to you why it suddenly matters less to me you know like uh yeah. that's that and that's contract. why most tv shows should probably not last more than like six seasons because you start yeah. trading water you get new people in that start 
changing the things that were core at the beginning, but they didn't, they, in their mind, that wasn't the core thing. And so I don't know if you watch uh, any of the Walking Deads, but there's yeah. the spinoff, Fear the Walking Dead, which yeah. in season, I want to say three, they, a new showrunner came in, or I think it was maybe two showrunners, and they just said, okay, everything yeah. off the table, we'll keep this character and this character and bring in a whole whack of new characters. And now it's an entirely new show. I'm like, I started watching because, of, oh. Yeah. And yeah, now, it's, it's it's just a kind of a, yeah. a disconnected. It's, yeah. it's distressing. Don't get me wrong. Some of the characters I brought in were I find really interesting, but uh, it's still yeah, a rupture. You, yeah, there was a break. It's just like well, maybe just end this show and start a new one. The, the scares of the Walking Dead or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I saw that um, Dexter is coming back, and and, yep. and this is an interesting thing: is it's going to come back. Uh, it's going to have um, uh, Michael C. Hall returning to the title character, mm -hmm. to the title role, um, and but it's not. It's a reboot, so they're really? going to. Yeah, it is. It's a reboot. So, and and I don't know what that necessarily how that's going to manifest because I mean that. So essentially, they're going to set aside some chunk of mythology. They they may not even address it. I don't know if it's going to be like a prequel or... Is anyone else coming back? Like, I'm specifically talking about one person that shouldn't be coming back. But yeah. I don't want to spoil I, I, it for anyone, but if you've seen the end. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh, you know, and it, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's early days on it, and it's, it's intriguing to watch. So when you have an actor return to a role, mm -hmm. but they don't bring back the continuity with them... Uh, that's kind of interesting. I think that happened with Sean Connery, obviously. I mean, James Bond, continuity, James yeah. Bond doesn't really matter. Like, uh, yeah. for some reason, I think that's the first character where we people are like, it's just about, he he's in this world and what happens to him and it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's there's no year to year kind of thing. And that's um, kind of like the TV show thing we're talking about. That one isn't uh, serialized. It's almost okay. The last one didn't happen. This is a new adventure. He hasn't changed. Uh, he didn't yeah. have a life before. Uh, yeah, it's like the honeymooners. Yeah. Like you know, like <laughs> yeah. haven't you had this argument before? It doesn't matter. We're starting new. Everything's new today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that'll be interesting. I liked Dexter, uh, especially the first couple seasons. Yeah, I, I, I think I, up to season four, and then it started to go downhill. But yeah, I think I think it was. Uh, yeah, you're you're kind. I think yeah, it sure did. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm intriguing. I find it intriguing to 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 uh, to find out what uh, they're what they leave in and what they leave out. Uh, yeah, and 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 how they do that and how they communicate it. You know, that's kind of a something that uh, will be interesting. It, it, there used to be these real hard fixed walls between things, like you know, uh, when uh, when they were doing the. Um, like the Henry Cavill Superman was mm -hmm. when they were making Man of Steel, you know, um, uh, Christopher Nolan, who was a producer on it, a producer on it, uh, you know, was, was adamant that uh, Superman not be on television in any of the DC stuff or, or yeah. pop up anywhere during that time, just to, to not have a competing version of the mythology. And, and, and that made sense uh, to people at the time. And then, but you look at it now and you have, you know, like, you have a screen version of the flash and the uh, television version of the a big screen version, a small screen version, and then they meet version. And then, yep. um, so it's really kind of uh, the multi-dimensional alternate reality uh, concepts that used to be almost unique to, 
to comic books, almost unique. Almost um, unique to DC Comics for the longest time. Yeah, you know, it, well, I mean, Marvel had a little bit of like Squadron Supreme and stuff like that, but it was more making fun of DC. Yeah, that doing. was, yeah, that wasn't really, a, yeah, yeah was it wasn't part of their true, yeah. like, representation. But yeah, but you're think, right, DC with Earth 1 and Earth 2 and all that. I think they got smart, though. They realized what was the defining miniseries in their entire uh, oeuvre, and that would be Crisis on Infinite Earths, and that would be yeah. multiple work, and they're like, listen, why don't we just grab onto this so now if you want to watch the tv you can watch the tv you want to go see the the money and the spectacle of the movies you can go see that and you could even sometimes intertwine them if you want by saying they've crossed over worlds and that's yeah. fine but they're usually separate so i think they were smart in doing that but then like all things if they just keep going and going they'll find a way to make it all muddied and uh... <laughs> well the problem is yeah. that you lose consequence like if you yeah. get to the version like if every time you do a superman uh movie you say it's a new version of superman um on a new planet and anything goes which it's potentially fine because that's what you were we, that's one of the reasons the graphic novels are so satisfying mm-hmm. um you know there, there's batman graphic novels i've read that i love that have nothing to do with any other batman story and it feels right. like you don't know when they are and 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 i don't mind that um but the uh if you keep doing that then it leads to uh stunt uh sort of drama where people are killed yeah. off or you know you destroy everybody it, it's one of the reasons that what if was a great marvel series is because yeah. it, it would take done. these yeah. marvel stories and then veer left into doom and destruction yeah. to get to see everybody yeah, get yeah. killed again yeah, yeah everybody yeah. dies and and like, readers oh, you like that like hope here's this mini series <laughs> or here's this series if you like hope you won't like this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. um it's in it, you know uh it has effects on the on the on the work and and how people consume it but i think that my takeaway is how um how adaptable and um, perceptive modern audiences are i mean modern audiences uh sophisticated enough to pick up on the stuff in a way that i think hollywood thought that they weren't for many many i mean they just assumed that well there we can't just do this this this, what what the hell you in the middle of a movie you're gonna have another spider-man you can't have two peter parkers what the hell does that mean you know um it it's the fact that that spider-verse got made the fact that there's a guardians of galaxy movie um it just boggles my mind compared to like my worldview in the 80s 90s and aughts of what hollywood would and wouldn't do it's you know it's like being john malkovich like i i was like i can't believe somebody pitched this and this got made like i mean i'm so glad it did but uh all bets are off like it yeah, i guess as long, it, you know. as long as you keep it contained then you can do it well i think if it's like mm-hmm. one movie or maybe just a couple movies then you can keep keep it tame. but when you have other like multiple universes or say time my love hate uh time travel uh, uh, my love and hate for time travel is if you start making a, a full tv series out of it and stuff like that you've got to be on it you've got to be watching every little thing and otherwise it becomes like you say the stakes disappear if you can time go back in time all the time and just change what you made the mistake of so yeah. uh yeah for stuff like that as long as it's contained and as long as you keep your eye on the ball and you don't say oh well let's just do that i'll be fine you got to say mm, well will it Will it be yeah. fine if we do that? Because if we do that, we open the door at this and then that and that and then everything's it just falls apart. It's like doing a, a kerplunk and you've taken away too many sticks and the balls just fall off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's the Jenga of uh yeah. of uh of uh storytelling. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, the longer a time travel story goes or the more 
revisiting revisitations there are to it the 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 hollower it gets yeah. because you know it just turns into a race to the yeah. past you know like, so you got to give it limitations like that's yeah. going back to jaws if you give it limitations and it's only be, things become more tense you get more stakes and yeah yeah what's what uh, would you say are some of the time travel uh i guess movies probably uh what time travel movies do you really kind of like or 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 do you have a i have a kind of a prejudice against them like i, I do my too, inclination actually. is to not like them um I do too, but then I keep coming back to time travel because, <laughs> like yeah. I said, I've got the, the love hate. Uh, what I like the most, uh, time after time, is good. I like because yeah. there's only really one thing of time travel in there, which is nice. Uh, and of course, Jack the Ripper and love that. Um, sure. TV shows. Uh, the um, there's that uh, Stephen King one, uh, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. That was the book was better than the, the show, but that was good. Yeah. Um, but like you say. Uh, Time travel, I have problems with a lot of the stuff that's out there because I don't think it's done right in my mind. <laughs> but yeah. then uh, anyone that uh, reads anything of mine that has it in there or something, they're like, well, he's doing it wrong. It should be this <laughs> yeah. way. It should be. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, all it's personal preference, I guess. Yeah. I mean, How like for you? me, I, like, I really did like when Superman flew around the earth and turned back time. I 100% agree. 100% agree. That's kind of why when everyone says how great the Superman movies were, I'm like, yeah, we was love... We love Christopher Reeve, but have you watched the first and the second one? Uh, yeah. that, the turning around the earth, that wouldn't work because the world would just destroy. And then that second movie, I watched that when I was an adult, and that is not a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Donner Cut's interesting. You know, it's an unfinished you know? project, but it, it's, 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 it's worth watching. There's one scene in it that is taken from an, um, an audition that Christopher Reeve really? did with uh, Margot Kidder. And they are in costume, but the costume, like his glasses, he has like a, a like Atticus Finch glasses okay, on, yeah. um, and they look a little more like the Fleischer Superman and Lois. Uh, it, it, you know, there it's oh, it's a, th- a, a little thing, bit more of a throwback. It's worth <laughs> it. It's worth it just for that. Okay, all right. I'm it's not much it. for uh, alternate uh, cuts, but I'll, I'll I'll check them out. Well, you know, and what it is, it's it's <laughs> uh, it's it's, a, it's 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 taken to. Uh, chunks put together and you know it goes from footage from superman to footage from superman 2 to footage from auditions and stuff but it it's, it tracks the original vision of what donner was going to do okay. so it's it's a it's kind of a frankenstein um uh when you look at it, it but it's uh it's got some some artifacts in it that are, are worthwhile but yeah you know time travel like um, you know, Terminator, the first one. Uh, right there, I'll give you that. That's a great movie. I love that. You one. know that that delivers and it holds up. You know, except the, for the, the eye and the uh, the mirror, the bad special effects and the yeah, that unfortunately yeah. takes you out of the movie for a second. But the rest of it's fantastic. All right, yeah. You, let's get James Cameron on the phone. I want to hear you yeah, tell exactly. Yeah. I want to hear that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you know, I really like fifth. Um, not fifth element. Um, that's not a time travel movie. I like. Um, uh, uh, 12 monkeys the 12 monkeys yeah uh, the monkey. Terry Gilliam. yeah yeah like that one a lot and looper yeah. uh as a kind of a ancillary. looper i like a lot of it but there's a couple things that bother me in that but uh yeah, it, but yeah it pushes for the most it. Part, yeah it pushes it a little too far uh, and the two I, leads I, are great so yeah yeah and, and once again it all comes back to bruce willis and his blind date yeah yeah you know, it's time travel like that'd yeah. be great if in in uh, 12 monkeys if he's in the airport and then he sees the blind date guy like version of Bruce Willis 
and then my beer my beer bottle goes rolling through the movie yeah. then we'd be perfect well a friend of mine he's a, a film critic here in uh, Winnipeg uh, for 101.5 uh, FM James Borisov and uh, he was watching Stakeout the other day do you remember oh. the uh, Emilio yeah, James Richard Dreyfus? No, Emilio oh, says Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what I was thinking. Yeah, that's right. And, and they're out on the stakeout, and they're bored. So to pass the time, they do uh, trivia. Uh, and he's, he's telling me about this. And one of the trivia things, uh, Emilio Estevez's character uh, starts listing off quotes from Jaws. And then uh, Richard Dreyfuss is like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, great. Yeah, so when you have callbacks like that, I, I always find that funny with one actor talking with the callback. That's one of very his other funny. Movies. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a bad hat, Harry. It's a bad hat, Harry. Brian Singer got his uh, production company from is that, that Singer line or is that Jaws. Is that Singer's company? Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Bad hat, Harry. And then uh, it's it all that movie said it just echoes and resonates. Um, but I, I really do think it's the most identifiable piece of music in history. Like, yeah. I can't think of anything that you can name faster. You Probably know, not Jaws. faster, but I mean, John Williams has so many great things. You can go from Jaws to Star Wars to any Superman pool to in the world. Indiana Jones, yeah. Any swimming pool in the world, you go and yeah, everybody yeah. knows what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. love that. I just think that's that, great. I mean, simple, so therefore it works, and just yeah, it's uh, it one of the amazing things of that movie. Yeah, yeah. the music that he did was so great for so many movies. Mm -hmm. You know, as you say um well it's fantastic well it's what a treat to talk to you it's uh uh what uh tell me about something you have coming up that you're very excited about very excited about uh just this week the theatrical premiere of the movie i uh, uh created and uh wrote the, the screenplay with uh the director bj Perot. the return uh, came out and i got to get all masked up and socially distanced uh, theater and, and go see uh, it's a theatrical premiere it had been in a, a few uh a virtual film fest before that um it won uh, best film at uh the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and uh, nominated for Best Screenplay at the uh, Horrible Imaginings uh, Film Fest. Uh, so it's, it's done pretty well. It's also got uh, nominated for Best Actress there for uh, Echo Anderson, who's amazing in the movie. Um, so yeah, really excited about that. Uh, it, starts off, it starts off <laughs> as a great. regular uh, horror uh, haunted house uh, movie, but then and there's a lot of twists in it and stuff like that. Uh, we got uh, 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 a budget uh, a quarter of a million budget but we stretched it uh, people are saying it looks like 10 times that uh stretch so um yeah no uh really excited about that um let's see i have uh one uh comic book series right now called hindsight coming yeah. out from uh, uh virus comics uh heavy metal uh is one of their comic imprints um that also that has time travel like we're talking about but of course <laughs> i limit it and uh it's it's more it's really more uh part of the conceit than it is part of Story. the going the actual traveling as part of the thing it's really just two investigations one's uh someone goes back in time uh to try to figure out the white chapel murders who jack the ripper was uh armed with all the the theories and the new evidence and everything from the last 130 uh, years um but at the same time there's a uh, corrupt cop in present day who ran into him before he went uh, and then he's he's has his own investigation trying to figure out who this guy is and what his secrets are so it's these two different storylines that uh <coughs> excuse me that go through there yeah um 
that's uh, I have a novel coming. My second novel comes out at the beginning of 2021, uh, and I'm working on a web series right now. So that's, that's all fantastic. the things I got going on right now. And then the novel, the uh, the second novel. Can you tell us the the title of that one, or is that still under wraps? That one's called With a Twist. Uh, With a it's twist. about yeah, it's about this. Uh, uh, cocktail waitress at a pub who uh, starts going out with uh, one of the, the guests that were was there and then uh, he disappears and then with zero uh, investigation skills whatsoever she tries to figure out what happened to him um, and so it's just this uh, this woman who has the gift for gab who just stumbles through an investigation and tries her best and, and uses her, her talking skills to get through it and eventually uh, figure out uh, what happened. Wow that sounds good that it puts the pub in publication. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, I'm curious, what's the, what's uh, the waitress's name? Just so I can, I, I love knowing uh, characters' names. Uh, Tamara Hughes. Nice. Uh, yeah. It's got a nice ring to it. That sounds good. Yeah. And that's uh, early next year. Yes, that should be uh, 2021. Um, I probably, in the, I mean, it's probably supposed to come out in January, but of course, of course, in COVID land, who knows what gets pushed back. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's I have what a... happened with our movie. I mean, we're supposed to be going to all the film festivals right now and then yeah. er, the brakes getting that thrown on and so uh gotta adapt but yeah well it sounds like the reception to it is uh is great and it sounds like uh yeah. it's uh it's got big things ahead of it and that uh you sound like a guy that uh is right on time so to speak you're so good <laughs> Yeah, sorry. It's a thing I try to do. I don't know why. I'm, you know, lost another five listeners right there. Yeah, that's right. But uh, well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope. Uh, well, thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, it was a treat to have you. And um, we may have like a a panel discussion about time travel. I I I have friends with strong opinions about it. Maybe we'll get everybody together and uh, we'll do one of these and we'll try to debate it. I think that would be a lot of fun. And if I don't win, I'll just go back in time and that's right. Change it. Anytime you want to have me on, talk about movies, horror movies, uh, yeah, stuff like that. I'm more than happy to come back. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, man. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye. It was very fun to hear you and Ken talk. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. It's good to meet him. And uh, we have a lot of similar uh, fixations. You know, I love I love stuff that takes characters from literature and history and puts them in a, uh, a new narrative. I just... There's something about it that's very satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely tell that he's a true lover of, uh, he, he seems to have a, or, I mean, it, it's quite evident that he has such a love for like Victorian era characters, you know, Sherlock Holmes. He was talking about Jack the Ripper. Um, he just, he was talking about how he really loves that style with people with overcoats and you can't see their faces in the top hats. And, you know, it's, it's a like great aesthetic. Of, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a great look to it. You're right, and uh, and I, you know, w one thing he said that kind of caught my ear and, and uh, rings true is uh, that uh, you know people didn't have cell phones and they didn't. You couldn't get, you could trap people and you could separate characters and maintain the unknown. Um, technology's taken away a lot of the, you know, tropes that uh, thrillers and adventure movies have used for many many years, um, and and it's affected the way like TV shows look and the, the rhythm of them like i remember i'm a big fan of ray donovan that show but i was like if this guy makes one more phone call <laughs> during the, i mean the entire show sometimes it felt like it was just him talking on the phone while he was driving around uh and just it's handling all this exposition uh so uh i i do like it before self i like having a cell phone but i don't like having them in my movies 
Yeah, and it kind of takes away, you know, like the sense of discovery uh, in movies isn't really there anymore. Because like people could just, if, if they didn't know something, they could just check Wikipedia on their phone. And, and so, you exactly. know, like when these people go to these like ancient libraries and discover things, that's like, you can just look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Evan, you're talking about something that uh, is very personal for me because like uh, one of the few things that I have in life is uh, I have a great wealth of unnecessary useless knowledge. <laughs> And, and it used to set me apart. Uh, it used to make it be like a party game, a party uh, trick. You know, someone would, you know, uh, name a movie and I would name the whole cast or something like that. Um, and now it's just not nearly as impressive because, you know, Wikipedia is right there. It's, it's the bane of my existence. It's, it's made me less unique. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. It's just like when people, it's like, uh, like riddles, like, back in the day you could tell someone a riddle and they you you would never know the answer unless they told you it or unless you found it out but now if you told me a riddle i could type the exact riddle in my phone and know the answer in you know 10 seconds it's a good point it really would take the suspense out of the the whole riddle of the sphinx you know like if in you know one of the challenges is answer the riddle of the sphinx and if if you could just check your phone it's yeah. not that hard it's really not that hard at all or if Bilbo Baggins had uh, service down there in that cave, you know, right. he's, just, he's just looking up all the answers to these riddles. Yeah, or if Indiana <laughs> Jones is like texting his dad, no, don't take the book, you know, like uh, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, that's funny, you know, uh, but yeah, so you and Ken, he's, he's great, you know, he talked, he has that new movie uh, that just came out called The Return, it's kind of doing the film festival circuits right now, definitely check that out wherever you can find it, um, and then he's got his book, comic book series with virus called hindsight so we'll definitely Great. check that out as well yeah. um and we'll hopefully have him on again for one of our Absolutely. panels or you know something in the future for sure that sounds great that sounds great so i'm curious what did you think of uh i know that you want to talk about mandalorian what did you think oh yeah man Mandalorian back season two on disney plus and it came in with a bang you know this is the year of the sandworm I don't know if you've noticed that, but you know, Tremors just came out with a new movie. We got yep. Dune on the way. And then the new episode of Star Wars just came out with a giant sandworm. It's a very popular character this year. Yeah, yeah, the, the worm's the way to go. Uh, it's mm -hmm. all about the worm. Uh, someone's gonna do a layer of the white worm remake probably at some point. But with, uh, <laughs> with the, the Mandalorian- That's a deep cut, that's a deep cut. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. The, uh, with uh, Mandalorian, it, it's so much fun looking at the things that they're drawing on, be it, you know, Sergio, Sergio Leone Westerns or something like Tremors or Dune uh, with the worm or their own mythology, because, uh, you know, this is the biggest cameo, the biggest callback to the Star Wars uh, film franchises with, I mean, can we say who's in it? Do, has there been enough time? Can we have a spoiler here? You know, you I'll just say for anybody that doesn't want it, hasn't seen it yet and doesn't want it spoiled, Go ahead and skip ahead probably let's say five minutes to be safe um and we'll give you a couple of seconds to do so yes yes but leaning into the fans which the fans have wanted probably since the death of this character in the 80s is the return of what we believe to be boba fett which yeah. is very exciting <laughs> boba fett holds a special place in the heart of, of star wars fans especially star wars fans of a certain age like me uh you know because they they released that action figure mm -hmm. before the movie came out and no one knew who Boba Fett was. You could buy it, but you didn't know anything about him and talk about smart. Like uh, that was really, really clever. Uh, 
and uh, it, it created this mystique about him. And um, he looks great. Uh, Joe Johnston, the director of uh, Captain America: First Avenger, uh, he also did Jurassic Park Three, and he also did that Wolfman movie with Benicio del Toro. I just watched um, it the other day. It was very good. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's movies underrated. I don't know why it got such hate when it came out, but um, but he, he you know he's the guy that designed Boba Fett. Uh, he was a uh, he was part of the uh, design team for Empire Strikes Back, and uh, he's the one that sort of uh, I believe uh, was one of the, uh, the designers, principal architects of it. You know. That's very cool. You know, it's funny that so many people have attached to a character that I think literally has three lines in the whole original trilogy, probably. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. It's true. Um, and, you know, my biggest grief with Star Wars is the way he dies is like something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. It's the worst. It is <laughs> it the worst. Is. It's um, that, that we should do a thing on the worst screen deaths in, yes. in film history because. I mean that and and Captain Kirk those are those are the first two that spring to mind like you know the fact that uh Boba Fett gets you know I mean it ends with a belch like that, <laughs> yeah. that's that's how we're going to dispatch this guy is like a giant sandy belch yeah uh, exactly and then uh, and Ca and Captain Kirk is as I'm on the record saying like he falls off a scaffold like it's a workman's comp claim it's not a death scene I, I it's it's not good it's not good for America it's not good for movies it's like in the second new G.I. Joe movie. I know like probably 15 of our listeners have actually seen this movie, but Channing Tatum is like the main character and then he blows up in the first five minutes of the movie and then The Rock takes over. He's the new G.I. Joe. It's you know? probably in their contract. Like, you know, like Channing, I just want to blow up. Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, that would actually be really fun. It's just kind of like try to like rank all the worst movie deaths. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, those, those have got to be up there. But yeah, it was great, you know, that uh, they were able to weave Boba Fett back in. And, and uh, Timothy Oliphant, uh, I'm a big fan of Timothy Oliphant. Justified was a great TV series. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about a, it's based on an Elmore Leonard story called Fire in the Hole. They wisely changed the title. Um, and it's about a, 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 a badass cop who uh, it starts off in South Florida and um, but ends up, uh, he's a you, uh, he's a marshal. Uh, he ends up back in his home state uh, among the coal mines, and uh, it's a really really well done series. And also, he's showed up in other things like I Am Number Six, and uh, and of course Deadwood, which is you know a classic western series. So mm -hmm. having him be part of this western uh, tableau that they've they've done on Tatooine. Uh, just awesome you know like he, he's like the perfect guy for that yeah and it's definitely a callback you know he he plays a marshal in a mining town <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. like it's a, there's no way they could do that unintentionally so yeah yeah and um, it was completely it was completely justified yeah nice <laughs> nice yeah just uh that was a great first episode i really have high hopes for the rest of the season they really leaned into the western aspect of it and so i'm curious if they're going to continue kind of down that path or if they're you know kind of like last season was they had some that were a little more Western and more that were kind of just action, but I'm curious to see if they're going to just like, based on this first episode, they definitely are leaning heavier and like heavily into the Western genre, but curious if yeah. they'll continue down that path. Yeah. It's, it, and it'll be interesting to see if the show holds on to a kind of a single tone or if it, it, it goes in different directions, kind of all over the place a little bit, which I felt like happened with the first season where um, it dictated by what director, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Family episode, you know, and, and I mean, that's part of episodic TV, excuse me. Um, that's part of episodic TV is you're going to have that. And, and that's actually, you know, a plus in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's exciting times to be a Star Wars fan uh, and, and have Boba Fett back. Um, he was also in the Star Wars holiday special. Don't forget, you know, um, I've never seen that, but I, it's, it's definitely high on my list. Yeah. I watch it every night. Um, it's terrible, uh, but it's, it's terrible in hysterical ways. I think it exists mostly just to frustrate George Lucas. I mean, I, I think like he thinks about it a lot. Like, you know, I think he, he would, he would give half his money to wipe it out of, of memory. You know? you know, John, I think it was John Favreau that said that he would love to direct another holiday special, Star Wars holiday special. There you have it. And, yeah. and with his time with Elf, you know, I think he could probably do a pretty good job. He would do great. He would do great. <laughs> But, you know, before we go, um, there's one last thing, which is the essential shelf for the week, which based on our conversations at the beginning of this episode, you know, it has a little bit of a tie in, but not necessarily. Uh, yeah, it does. It ties into um, uh, the news, uh, the sad news of Sean Connery's passing. And it also ties into our conversation uh, on the show today just about using characters from uh, literature, history and, and weaving them into uh fiction uh and it's uh, league of extraordinary gentlemen which uh people will remember um as a very bad movie uh like it was a it was as a movie uh, and it was sean connery's final film and in a sense almost drove him out of the uh the industry i think or at least it just it, it frustrated him enough that he didn't come back while the movie is not good, uh, the comic book and the graphic novel that collects it up, the first story arc, which is the one that I'm recommending for our essential shelf for our readers, our listeners, and uh, uh, who are looking to uh, connect with the best comics uh, and understand the genre and the medium. Um, so League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, written by Alan Moore, uh, who, of course, uh, was the co-creator of Watchmen, uh, who did the uh, landmark Swamp Thing series. He did uh, so many great things. V for Vendetta. Um, he just, he's a titan figure, and I'm a big fan. And this is one of his most satisfying ones. And it, 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 it brings together Alan Quartermain uh, from British, British literature. He would have been sort of the Indiana Jones of, of the uh, Victorian era. era. And then... Um, the Invisible Man and uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Mina Harker from Dracula. It brings together all these characters from the bookshelf and um, uh, unites them against a new common threat, um, which I won't get into because it's kind of a great reveal. But it shows how much uh, Alan Moore loves and understands and knows the source material and how um, very, very clever he is at... uh, weaving them into a, a brand new epic that's is is super satisfying and, and feels always um it never feels like homework uh it, it it feels like a fresh new take so that's the uh the recommendation and kevin o'neill's the artist uh perfectly suited for the material and also uh i really like the interstitial materials that are presented with the story's central narrative um, just like in Watchmen, which had police reports and book excerpts and uh, psychology, uh, uh, you know, appraisals uh, stuck in between the chapters of the, the story, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen often has 
like materials from that era, like advertising. Uh, there are very funny ads that are appropriate to that time. And uh, so that, that stuff's kind of fun and, and makes it even more immersive. And he, uh, he, would, he would stay with the series, Alan Moore. Uh, he would revisit it multiple times and like later uh, sequences of the story have like James Bond, for instance, uh, oh, shows up. Yeah, because it's the heroes of England. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it goes forward in time and, and eventually gets to the point where you meet 007. Um, so it has another, another connection to uh, our topic and conversations today. But that's the one that uh, I would add to the shelf this week. And uh, I, I think you're going to really like reading this one if you haven't already. Yeah, no, I'm actually looking forward to it because, you know, I've, I've never read the graphic novel. I've only seen the movie. And so it can only go up from here, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, one question about it. How, how is he able to get his hands on so many of these characters? Are they in the public domain or? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're public domain. That's why, you know, if you look at uh, the history of film, uh, the, the character that's been portrayed the most as a lead character in film, I, I think we talked about this once, uh, it was Sherlock Holmes um, and... Uh, Santa Claus, you, you had mentioned that too, Ken, how Santa Claus was like the earliest. Santa Claus is the earliest, and then um, Sherlock Holmes is the most um, frequent. Yeah, the, the most revisited uh, for sure, which kind of surprised me at this point. You know, you think it, it, uh, I would have thought maybe Dracula, you know, because I, 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 it, it seems to me that Dracula uh, has more um, opportunity to go in different directions than, than Sherlock Holmes, perhaps. But those characters are both public domain. So that's why people revisit them all the time. Same like Hercules, anything that's, uh, you know, uh, is more than 100 years old, uh, typically is going to be public domain. There's some exceptions, you know, uh, you know, Peter Pan has some limitations on it because of the, the arrangement of mm. um, the, the funding for that hospital that uh, it supports and things like that. But, uh, but generally, yeah, the, the characters of the bookshelf are free, free for people to uh, grab and use as they will. Well, it's very cool. I'm definitely gonna check that out this week. And uh, to our listeners, definitely check out some of Ken's work. Check out The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Is that who you said the artist was? Kevin yeah. O'Neill. And then uh, get ready for the next episode of Mandalorian this Friday. Sounds good. All right, well, Jeff, unless you have anything else, that's the end of the episode. No, uh, just uh, uh, thanks for another great week and sad to see Sean Connery go. Um, but let's all try to stay as cool as he does, you know, <laughs> yeah, and definitely. stay safe on election day. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right, Jeff, well, I'll talk to you again next week. Take care.